Hello everybody, welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson and with us today is Rob Bagchi, sports journalist at The Telegraph and author of The Unforgiven, the story of Don Revy's Leeds United and the biography of Leeds United, the story of the Whites. Rob, pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me, it's a joy to be here. Uh, today we go back to April 1970 for the European Cup semi-final second leg that finished Celtic 2, Leeds United 1, with Celtic going through 3-1 on aggregate. Rob, why have you chosen this game? Well, it isn't a great game in terms of Leeds United's history, but it, it's a very significant game in that you know it is still the biggest crowd that's ever seen a European Cup match. It's still the biggest crowd mm. in, uh, an English club side has played in front of, and it catches Leeds probably at the worst point of their most gruelling season. They're exhausted, they're, they're tired uh, beyond recognition in terms of nervousness and, and, and physically. They've just lost the, uh, sorry, they've just drawn the FA Cup final uh, on the Saturday. Mm. Um, this was the um, 60th of 63 games that they would play that season. And so it also catches them in the transition from the team that won the league in 1968, 69, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a more attractive team in the early 70s. So you catch them right in the middle of that 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 period. And I still think because it's the one game that the players all refer to as, you know, the one time that they felt significantly outplayed, that it is important to sort of address why that was and, and why Leeds, you know, couldn't quite get it over the line that day or indeed that season. Yeah, it seems quite incredible, Jonathan, that I, when I think of this Leeds side, I think almost quite machine-like and winners and, and trophies and all the rest of it. And yet this season... Which... Well, I mean, no, quite the reverse. Though. They, 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 yeah, the, I think what defines them is the fact they keep finishing second. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. There's that... an extraordinary consistency, but actually they could have done a more inconsistency. And you know, rather than being second every year, some first and some fourth would have, would have helped. Yeah. Yeah, which which is my sort of surprise actually when researching this is as it is as as you say, but but nonetheless, Jonathan, they were um they they were they were quite some team under Revy at that time. Oh, an extraordinary team. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm working on a book on partly by Jack Charlton at the minute, and so I've been doing I've read both of Bob's books uh, as part of it, but going back through a load of Leeds research, and you sort of realise what a yeah an abject club. It was before mm. Levy turned up. Yeah, the, the the chaos they were in, and even his uh, his first full season, they very very nearly get relegated to the third division. <laughs> and it's it's only after they sign Bobby Collins that, that they they pick up the last few games and have to win three 0 at Newcastle on the final day to, to to stay up. So to go from there to you know being regular cup finalists, regularly challenging for the league, um, and and then you know, getting this close to the European Cup final is an astonishing achievement. And yet the sense, I think, will always be that they probably should have achieved slightly more. Mm. Yeah, Would you agree with that, Rob? Yes, definitely. I mean, yeah. I think Revy this year is, is manager of the year in 1970, you know, mm. for, for getting to the FA Cup final, for finishing runners-up in the league, for, for getting to the semi-final of the European Cup. But I think he was almost a victim of his own ambition and his own success. You know, he talks about, we would call it the treble, but he talks at the beginning of the season about wanting to win the triple, you know, <laughs> this mythical thing. You know, the double had only been done once that century and suddenly he's starting to announce that, you know, we're going to defend the league title, we're going to win the FA Cup for the first time and we're going to become the second English club to 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 win the European Cup. And they went, you know, they went for it in each competition with roughly the same 12 players all the way through until... Towards the end of the season, when fixture congestion just 
got the better of them. It's it's a, it's all sorry. It's, it's also an odd season in that because of the World Cup in Mexico, it, it's truncated in terms of 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 you know it has to finish on a certain day in um, I, I believe in April. So you know there's still you know there, there was no leeway for an extra two or three weeks for them to actually work out their fixer congestion. But it's also it's also partly their own fault. You know, they didn't beat Man United in the FA Cup semi-final until the second replay. Um, so, you know, they go to extra time twice and then they then they go to a replay in that. Then they go to extra time in the cup final because they can't quite finish it off. So, yeah, they, it all sort of adds up to a really difficult uh, situation for them when they go into this this European Cup semi, which bizarrely in those days is 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 the least grueling of all competitions to win, you know, given it's the most prestigious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because only nine games. Yeah. yeah, four 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 rounds, two legs, and the final. But I think there's two things to pick up on what what, what you say there. So the first the thing about the dates is incredible because I, I was sort of bewildered when I looked at this. Saw fifteenth of April. Well, okay, that makes sense for a European yeah. semi. Four days after the cup final, yeah, and the same in Scotland. Celtic had also played in the cup final on the on the previous Saturday, um, which is you know, just bafflingly early. And of course, yeah, as you say, it's because of the World Cup in Mexico. Everything's got to be shunted forward. And then the the, the other point, you know, we talk about fixture congestion, and yeah, we talk about it in, in the modern age as well. Mm-hmm. But in the modern age, people are very used to the idea of rotation, and you feel the weak inside here and there. But there's a huge furore this season. And I remember when I did my Clough book, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things, I mean, there's a whole multitude of things that set Clough off about Revy. But the game on Easter Monday when Leeds play a derby yes, and Leeds turn up with a, a second string because they're, they're, they're knackered. They, they've accepted they can't win the league. So they're focusing on the Cup and the, the European Cup. And Clough at least pretends to be furious <laughs> that, that, that his derby had been disrespected by Leeds turning up without a first team. And then the league gets involved and Leeds get fined for it, don't they? Yeah, they do. They get fined, I think, over a £1,000 at the time, which when you consider the, some of the sanctions that were around uh, then, you know, seem, seem positively draconian. There's a funny part in, I was looking at, you know, it from Celtic's angle to a certain extent and, and Jock Steen, after the FA, uh, the Scottish FA Cup final, their 3-1 defeat by by um, Aberdeen, he goes ballistic at the referee, um, calling him every name under the sun, accusing him, accusing him of all sorts of, of, of nefarious practices and incompetence. And he gets fined £10. <laughs> Whereas, you know, actually protecting the, the, the physical and mental health of an exhausted squad, you know, gets you, gets you a prospect of a points deduction or, 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 or huge financial penalties. It's- They've just basically asked him, what, what have you got on you? Right, we'll have that. <laughs> I think that's probably what it was. Um, Revy, what was Revy's um, uh, uh, sort of standing in the game by this point, Rob, when we get to the European Cup final? Because obviously, as you mentioned, he, or, or Jonathan mentioned, he took over um, at the start of the 60s. The Leeds, they were struggling in the second division. Uh, he was player manager, um, I believe, to, to begin with and changed the fortunes of that club somewhat in that decade. Yes, I mean it, it took him a while to to get it going, and as, as Jonathan pointed out, the, the signing of Collins was pivotal. I mean, he, his legs, had, his own legs, had gone as a player really, and he, he play, only played a handful of games um, at the start of his his short, uh, the end of the first season that he was there. I think he had twelve or thirteen games to save them at the end of that season. Then he played a couple of times the following season, and that was it. He just couldn't, uh, you know, he just couldn't do it anymore, and felt that that he was of more value um, off the pitch. I think his reputation. 
was different in different parts of the country. He was he was not particularly appreciated by the London press. Um, you know, he was seen as as, as dour. Uh, you know, and and he comes across as a saturnine individual. You look at him and he, he looks brooding. When you see him, you know, uh, walk onto the pitch the following year against West Brom after the the offside incident. Oh, yeah. You know, he you look at his face. You know, uh, uh, the way that he 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 you know he's, he's carrying a little rug and he he's, he's looking up. You know as though his whole world had shattered and he could never really hide those emotions but i think within within the football community as it, as you know this tribe of mythical football men he was he was pretty well liked i mean shankley and him were close friends busby and him were, were pretty close friends and i think he was respected by a lot of players because he was a players manager he was he wasn't like shankley and he wasn't like busby in the sense of of trying to rip them off financially which is you know what their um, what their best players criticise them for now. You know the fact that they were so badly paid. Revy always made sure that they stayed in decent hotels. That they always made sure that they that they got you know a proper wage, and their bonuses were always quite high. I, I think his standing is largely um, what it is now because of the England thing. You know that, but he, mm. I mean, it's it, it's a quite. It, it, it's a paradox, really. He wouldn't have got the England job had he had a terrible reputation. Yet what happened in the England job has, has almost destroyed his reputation. Yeah, because if you compare him, obviously, as as we all do for some reason, to Brian Clough, you know, he's almost like the bad guy to Clough's good guy at times, Jonathan. Yeah, which I think is deeply unfair. Mm. Um, I mean, partly that's because of the the, the famous calendar interview with, with Austin Mitchell after <laughs> Clough's lost the, the Leeds job, which yeah. is an extraordinary bit of television. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, we, we had a one of the very early blizzards we had, the historian Dominic Sandbrook, comparing that interview to the famous debate between Kennedy and Nixon before the presidential election in 1960. And I think it's exactly the same thing happens. You've got the, the brooding Saturnine yeah. big bloke who actually, if you listen to what he says, makes a lot of sense. So, so the thing about the, the presidential debate was people who listened on the radio thought that Nixon had come out of it better. Mm. People who watched on TV thought that the you have a younger, uh, more handsome, uh, more alert, more lively, more overtly charismatic figure, Clough or Kennedy, had come out on top. If you actually listen to that calendar interview, there's never a sense in which Revy loses. He makes a series of very, very good points. And Clough is obviously drunk during that interview. Yeah. Um, and somehow there's this myth that Clough comes out a bit better, which, yeah, for all my admiration for Clough, yeah, I, I think is a nonsense. I think Revy comes out that much better. Um but yeah, Rob's obviously right that the the way it ends with with England, and it's one of those terrible things of the hypocrisy of the of the British press that you know they they hound this bloke for a couple of years. You know, why isn't he picking Alan Hudson? I mean, I've just you know in my research for this book, I'm, I'm doing it in a minute. I've just done uh, Bobby Charlton's resignation from Charlton, which happens in the August of '75, and alongside the stuff about that, there are huge things about. How dare Revy treat Alan Hudson like this? Yes. And this has been constant. And then when he finally leaves, which is what they've been demanding he does, <laughs> basically, how dare he betray us? Yeah. And it's just the hypocrisy <laughs> of the British media. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's exactly the same as, I mean, I suspect this comparison has never been made before, but Revy in this instance is very like Diana. That, well, yeah. You know, you, you have these sort of tabloid stories prepared, exposing her you know, disgraceful private life with... Dirty Alpha Head and everything. And then suddenly she's killed in a car crash. And oh, the People's Princess, read our 72 page pull out now. Yeah. And it's, ex- it's exactly the same, the, the, the nonsense of it. But I, I think the other thing with Revy, particularly at the beginning, 
where there is resistance, and, and maybe it is, it is more the London-based press who aren't working with him regularly, who don't sort of speak to him regularly and understand what he's doing, is he is instituting a new form of football. And um, I, I think what happens in the mid-60s to football is it's, it's the change from old football to modern football. Mm-hmm. That, that's the biggest single divide in the game. Um, and Busby is on the old side and Shankly and Revy on the new side. So the 65 uh, FA Cup final, I didn't mean the 65 FA Cup final, yes. I don't know, when, yeah. when, when Liverpool beat Leeds mm-hmm. 2-1. Um, and that, that game, weirdly at the time, is, is held up as being an incredibly boring game. This is an example of a disgrace of modern football. Mm-hmm. And you, you watch it, and it's like, hang on, this just looks like a normal football match. It's quite a good game. Yes. Uh, and there's a whole thing. There's uh, Peter Wilson, who is the main, column, main sports columnist in the Mirror, on, that, on the Monday after that game, after that cup final, says, I'm told this is modern football. I'm told this is the way we have to play if we're going to win the World Cup next year. Well, if this is modern football, I want no part of it. <laughs> and they, they talk about the method. But basically all that means is you don't just attack constantly. You actually think yeah. about what you're doing. Yeah. And you, you know, maybe you hold possession for a little while and maybe you, you actually try and stop the opposition. Um, and I think, again, you know, bringing it back to Bobby Charlton, one of the reasons he fails as a manager uh, is that he hates the idea of football. He he belongs to the old age. He belongs to the the sort of pre-lapsarian Busby football of, of of the fifties before Munich, and he he just wants football to be him playing with yeah Duncan and Tommy and, and yeah. Eddie before it's all gone horribly wrong. But the sixties, the game is changing. Rebbe is at the forefront of that, and so I think there is resistance that people don't like the change because they think the change is somehow destroying the romance of football. Yeah, but I mean, for example, Bobby Charlton in, in the World Cup final does nothing more than than, than stalk Franz Beckenbauer. So he must have known to a certain extent that that pragmatism works that, that, that there is a virtue to it and he couldn't have had a greater example than his own brother really yeah well that, that's the fascinating thing that the brothers yeah. are so different in that regard yeah. Uh, yeah. but I mean you, you talk to anybody who I mean John Giles is a great example mm-hmm. who leaves Manchester United to go to Leeds and um, uh, you know, is, is, is just blown away by how much more advanced the training is the fact that they actually know what the opposition is yeah. going to be doing the next Saturday and they actually prepare for it and the training sessions are organised and you know like, this 10 minutes we're doing this then we're doing this then we're doing this rather than just having a bit of head tennis and a kickabout yeah, I mean, he, he found a method at, at Elland Road and he talked about people like Les Cocker and Sid Owen uh, and some of the, the backroom staff that Revy had assembled there as, as having a, a greater impact on his career than even, you know, the same to Jimmy Murphy uh, at Manchester United uh, and Matt, who, who wasn't interested in, in any other sort of tactic. I mean, the idea that, that Revy became obsessed with, with the opposition and, and the creation of these infamous dossiers um, it does hold water, and I think certainly by by the early seventies, the players were better than that. That they needed less uh, information about the opposition and didn't need to feel so cowed about it. But certainly, I don't think Leeds would have ever got where they were without his devotion to detail and and his obsession with with method. But I, I think there's I, again there's two points I want to make about this. So what what fascinates me is how similar that seems to me to the famous Bielsa press conference after the Spygate thing where he talks about, yeah, I do all this work and I kind of know that a lot of it doesn't really mean anything, but I would feel guilty if I didn't do it. Yeah, it, 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 that metaphor uses it. If it was a stone I hadn't looked under, I would feel bad. Mm. And I, I get yeah. the impression Revy was very much the same. He sort of, he has this paranoia. I mean, he clearly did have a paranoia. Yes. But he has a specific paranoia that, what if I have missed something? Mm. And he's terrified of that. And so he, he probably overcompensates. 
And then I think in, with specific regard to the Celtic game, um, uh, I remember talking to Tarkizia Bergnic, the Inter defender, uh, who played in the 67 European Cup final when, when Inter lose to, to Celtic. And Inter were, were a bit similar. They, had, they, they were fed all this information about the opposition. The whole thing went, stop the opposition playing. And Bergnic talked about the night before that game, they're all in this fancy hotel. Um, uh, what's the place called? Just outside Lisbon, uh, down on the coast. Estoril. Cash Cat. Cash Cat. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, maybe it was Cash Cat. Anyway, one of the two. Yeah. In this lovely resort hotel. And he's kept awake at night by the sound of, of his captain in the next room vomiting with nerves. And so I, I think, and I think maybe this is one of the reasons Leeds do have so many sort of high profile defeats in finals. Obviously, the fatigue is a, is a big issue. But that anxiety, which I think. It, 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 up to a point is radiated by Revy and I think Celtic were very very good at exploiting that they exploited it in 67 and they clearly exploited it here because Jock Steen says to his team before the game look at Revy he's white he's shaking he's terrified mm. yeah absolutely alright chaps let's have a quick break and then we'll talk about the match itself see you in a moment everybody Welcome back to uh, the greatest games on the blizzard. Right then, um, to the match itself. So yes, uh, you obviously mentioned uh, you know two great coaches, Revy and, and, and Steen, going up against each other. But of course, Rob, it was the first time an English and a Scottish side had, had drawn each other in, in the European Cup, which you may have said earlier. And there's some sort of... Uh, debate here was were Leeds favourites to win I'm guessing that the the English press thought they were yeah certainly did I mean until the first leg when um Celtic's you know great lost lad uh, George Connolly scores a first minute goal and mm. they com- comprehensively outplay Leeds that there were a couple of mitigating factors in that in that Hunter didn't play in that game he wasn't fit and Bremner was badly concussed in the second half but they managed to hang on for a one nil defeat mm-hmm. But certainly the, the, the tenor before the second leg was that, yeah, Leeds would be okay. They, they had a pretty decent chance. Um, having looked at some of the Scottish papers, it is completely the other way around. They, I think they valued, um, you know, Steen's uh, ability mm-hmm. to, to outthink and outplay Rivy um, all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then that goal you talk about in the first leg, it's, it's such a horrible goal to come see. It is. I mean, it's literally <laughs> sort of the ball's humped forward. Maybe he's playing at centre-back mm. because Hunter's not there, just gets in a tangle and, and messes it up. Mm. And then it's deflected, the commonly shot's deflected. Mm-hmm. And as this sort of spike sort of just wanders across his goal as the ball trickles in the far post. And the commentary is brilliant. It's, I, think, I think it's Brian Moore, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, and he's sort of, oh, and it, it's a goal. <laughs> and he's sort of just come from nowhere. And suddenly in this crucial tie, leads are one down when nothing's happened in the game at all. And Celtic done nothing to deserve that goal. It's a complete mm. freak. And obviously that then changed, you know, an away goal that early mm-hmm. completely changes the tenor of the game. Yeah, totally. And of course, uh, uh, you know... At the time Although they should have had a second early in the second half. Yes. There's a the goal without offside, which manifestly is not offside. Uh, absolutely right. I mean, going into this this, this tie, you know, the sort of first battle of Britain, really, Rob, you know, you had Celtic, obviously European... Um, champions uh, a few years earlier. They'd been in the European Cup, I think, four successive seasons running. So the great pedigree, of course, of a fantastic side. But then Leeds, you know, they were the English champions. They'd they'd won the Fairs Cup uh, and they'd lost in the final in what? So they lost in the final in '67 and won in '68. If I'm my, uh, right. if I can remember those stats, yeah. So was there a feeling that Celtic were the experienced? side who were perhaps waning a little bit the sort of perhaps powers were waning or something like that and Leeds were the kind of the new boys in the European Cup and they were the side to beat 
I think that was the general perception, but I don't think that's mm-hmm. what, you know, the way that it was thought of by the Leeds team and, and the manager. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they had utter respect for, for Steen and for Celtic, you know, that, that, I mean, Eddie Gray, Billy Bremner, Peter Lorimer, they're all, well, Lorimer's from Dundee, but had a soft spot for Celtic. But they're all, you know, very close mm-hmm. to those Celtic players and knew them intimately and, and thought that they were magnificent players who were, you know, badly underrated south of the border. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the strange things that looking at that team is how few Scottish caps that Celtic team actually won, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that they, they just seem to have been ignored uh, consistently. But um, I think what's interesting about that game particularly is that you look at Celtic, uh, the way that they got to the semi-final, okay, they 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 beat Benfica 3-0 at home, but they but they... Um, they, they're beaten three 0 away, and the only reason they get into the next round is on the flip of a coin. So yeah, then they crazy. then they play Fiorentina, beat them comfortably at home, lose away. So I think in some of the writing around those games, there was a sense that you know there are weaknesses there that have come into the team. It wasn't the '67 team, mm. that, but you know there was also an appreciation that people like Connolly and the emerging Quality Street kids were, or Quality Street gang were, were, were going to make a, a huge difference, though I think most of them were, were on the bench that day. Yeah, compare that to, to Leeds' run, Jonathan. They'd, I think it was a total of 24 goals they'd scored on the way to the semi-final, or, or around 20-odd goals, uh, largely thanks to a 16-0 aggregate win against Norwegian side Lynn in the first round, we should say. But they'd yet to concede by the time they got to that semi. Yeah, and Ferns Farish and some of the age were, were decent side, Ferns Farish mm. particularly. Uh, yeah, as we'd seen from their success in the in the first cup. So, um, I, I, from a perspective of now, it looks like Celtic, Celtic had the harder run. That probably is just about true. But beating Franz Vosch was not a, a straightforward thing. So, um, yeah, I, 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 th- I think the, the the key thing probably is that difference in experience. Because I mean, six of his Celtic team had played in the final in in '67. And your Willie Wallace probably would have played, but was injured as John Hughes came in. Mm-hmm. John Hughes, of course, went on to have great glory with Sunderland, <laughs> um, <laughs> and his brother Billy even more so. Rob, was it also uh, against Leeds? Of course, sorry. yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. obviously. I was waiting um, for that. Yeah, <laughs> was it? Uh, I was reading somewhere that the, the, the club doctor was was warning um, Revian, saying that you know six of the the first team were close to sort of emotional and uh, and physical collapse. Was it around the semi final this was happening? Yes, it, it was. Right. And and I mean, what he would tend to do is is is, is take them away from their families mm-hmm. and take them up to a, a hotel uh, up in Ilkley called the Craiglands Hotel, where this is where their infamous um, habit of playing carpet bowls and bingo, which has been <laughs> much mocked since Revy got the England job. You know. That, Taking a piss out of him for for yeah. you know these, these twee little uh, um, pastimes that he did to to get them to occupy themselves. So yeah. I mean, and there was an element that they were they were just fed up of of being away from their families, being away from uh, from their homes. Uh, but he felt that that was the only way forward for them. That he had to keep them on you know focused. And so when they came back from Wembley on the on the Saturday, they went straight to to the hotel and then back up to back up to Glasgow. It, it's like, you know, they never got any time to unwind. Mm. I mean, the two big drinkers in the team, uh, Bremner and, and, and Charlton, were given some leeway and, and occasionally were allowed to go out, you know, on a Wednesday or Thursday night and get hammered. And, and they would often book a hotel room uh, so that, they, you know, they wouldn't go home and disturb their wives together. But but there was a an element that, that yes, they, I think six of the team 
you know, the ones that had played more than 50 games were, were just on the point of collapse. And they'd also lost uh, Rini um, to a broken leg in a, just after the first, mm-hmm. after they played the first leg, they had to play West Ham in the league the following day. And, yeah. and uh, he broke his leg in that game. Um, and then obviously missed the world cup, but missed the cup final, missed the second leg. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a point of not just physical, but, but nervous exhaustion. I think, because of that element of not being around their families, hmm. and, and not ideal prep going into uh, a semi-final of a, of a European Cup in the second leg at Hampden Park when you're playing in front of you know 136,000, uh, Jonathan, which as we said earlier is still a record for a yeah. UEFA so, competition. Uh, four and a half thousand of those from Leeds, yeah, and yeah, 132,005, <laughs> I guess, from Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> Where do, where do you think they came from, though? Because, you know, against Benfica, they got 70-odd thousand. Against, yeah. you know, in the cup final, and presumably some of those were Abedonians, you know, they just got 105, 106,000. So where did the just, extra... Yeah. Well, I, just the 105,000. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, but it's interesting because Leeds returned tickets, isn't it? It's, it's not yeah, that Leeds did. fans were, were buying up the tickets and, no. and actually, you know, half of those were, were from Yorkshire. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's bona fide kind of Celtic fans. Yeah, and all yeah. kinds of stories about huge queues to, to get tickets, and there was a confusion about when the, when the tickets leads were returning were going to be returned. So, you know, loads and yeah. loads of the fans who were waiting get sent home, and they have to come back again at seven on the night of the game to, yeah. to mm-hmm. get these spares. Did, did did you get a sense that I mean, in some of the Scottish reports, it it, it seemed to suggest that you know tribalism was over for one night only, that it was I very did. much a, a Scotland versus England thing. That's what I sort of read a bit that, that you even had a few Rangers fans or, or or a significant amount of Rangers fans cheering for Celtic that even, and I thought, well, yeah, I, I would like to ask a few more questions, you know. Yes. But it certainly it, it was suggested, uh, as you say, Robert. But uh, I wonder, I wonder. I mean, football fandom has changed, hasn't it? You yeah, know, I, it I, I think the um, I, I can I can see why the Scottish identity becomes the predominant one mm-hmm. on this occasion in a way that it absolutely would not today. Uh, but I, I think you do get that sense that you know, fans of English clubs supported the English team in Europe. Yeah. That, that that sort of nationalism overrode mm. club loyalty, which is a, yeah. is a huge change mm. in, in fan behaviour. True enough, but that, yeah, but then if you think you know if you if you drill down to you know into Celtic and Rangers, which is usually not a wise thing to do. You know, some would say, well, the Celtic may some fans may support Ireland, and Rangers fans have even been known to support England. So, yeah. so it, it is whatever it is. It certainly testifies to the fact it was a very different footballing landscape back then for you know on the pitch, but also for the fans as well. Um, but let's get to the game, um, gentlemen, and 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 uh, the, the game starts and and. How does uh, Revy kind of approach this one, uh, Rob? Is he trying to sort of hit Celtic early, or is he, you know, be a bit cautious? Well, I think he, he felt that, that that the huge difference between the two sides had been had been Johnston, and mm-hmm. so with with Cooper now reunited with with Hunter on the left side of his defence, he talks about uh, in his uh, pre match uh, talk about Hunter dropping in behind. Uh, Cooper all the time so he's double teamed but it never really effectively worked that that although they didn't really let him get one-on-one with Cooper all that often um you know he was rampant right from the start mm. um so yeah I think scoring early obviously silenced the crowd and it, it, it's it's an untypical Bremner goal it, it it's a spectacular goal from from 30 yards you know, crashed into the in, into the uh, top left corner from uh, you know after 15 minutes or so uh, and yet, you know, his genius was 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 for 
goals in crucial matches. He'd scored in the in the cup final in '65, in the semi in '65, in the cup semi-finals in in in, in '70 and '73. That you know, winning goals. That's was what he did. But but it was usually in the box, and he was a master of. Of, of the sort of goal that, that that Murdoch scored later on, that was his sort of goal. You know, that sort of arrive, uh, as Ron Atkinson used to call it. You know, the, the ability just to get into the right place at the right time. Uh, mm-hmm. But tactically, I, I don't think that they went out out to all out attack them. Or, but but they were, you know, I don't think they quite expected to be under the cosh as much as they were. I mean, that goal really came against the run of play, didn't it? I mean, it I didn't. think Celtic had six corners in the first eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, I mean, even watching the highlights, it seemed to be an extraordinary number of free kicks from the yes. right, which presumably is Johnson getting fouled mm. by Cooper or, or yeah. Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's that chance before the Bremner goal uh, where I, 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 it's, I think it's Bertie Old who puts the cross mm. in, in, the free kick set short, yes. Old puts, puts the cross in. And then it, I, I, I think it's Hunter at the near post, yeah. sort of turns towards his own goal and mm. Sprake sort of flaps at it and Charlton goes berserk at Sprake. Yes. Who I think bangs his head on the post as well. Yes, in that incident. Um, so there's this sort of chaos, and then the goal just comes out of nowhere. That yeah. um, uh, the ball's given away cheaply in midfield, and Hunter feeds Bremner, yes. who three or four paces forward and bang, and it's yeah. an unbelievable finish. I mean, it, it just just clips the inside of the post, just under the bar. It's totally unsavable. Yeah, absolutely. And the yeah. si- even on the video, you you hear the silence. Yes, yeah. you know, it's a, <laughs> an amazing sort of drop in volume as to sort of. The dawning realization of oh Christ! Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, Gary Sprake and Garmin. He would have quite the evening, uh, fair to say. But in in the first half, he made some 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 decent saves. I mean, how how important was Gary Sprake to um, this lead side? Because we often hear about the likes of Bremner and, and Giles and Charlton and so on. But what about Sprake in goal, Rob? Well, he just obviously had a calamitous uh, moment in the FA Cup final on the Saturday in letting in the first goal, mm-hmm. um, and and these these things happen to him, you know, less than you would think given his reputation as uh, as a flapper. But he, what he what he did have was a command of his area at times, and particularly in European games, he, he was often Leeds' best player, particularly away from home. And I, I think in the first half of this game, he was as good uh, as mm-hmm. as he'd been. Um, Obviously, he too has suffered uh, by, uh, you know, he fell out with the rest of the team because he corroborated some of the, uh, or or provided uh, statements to the press which seemed to corroborate some of the uh, uh, criticism and, and, and evidence against Revy when they were trying to portray him as being corrupt. So the rest of the team isolated him um, until his death, really, which uh, was a shame given that he'd been such a, a big part of the dressing room. But but Charlton was always blaming Sprake. You can you can always see <laughs> whenever he made a, uh, uh, an error, you could always see Charlton was there first. Mm. And yeah, and and through Sprake and others, they managed to get in at half time at one nil. Jonathan, whereas presumably Jock Steen had a few choice words for his Celtic team. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's that really good chance for Lennox as well that mm-hmm. you Connolly feeds it, feeds it through Lennox or makes a break in from the left and dinks it over Sprake and Madeley sort of hooks it off a line. Um, so I mean, a low lead to one up. Celtic have had by you know clearly the better side. They're clearly on top. Yeah, and I, I guess the the feeling would have been, that, yeah, they can't they can't hold out if Celtic yeah. keep playing like that. And also the evidence of the first leg was I think Celtic were were better. Yeah, and I think actually even even the memories of '67, you know, going behind to Inter, but just the the, the constant pressure overwhelming them, and that same psychological thing of here is a team. 
who who keep messing up at the last. And so if they get under pressure, they don't stand up to it. They do fold. And sure enough, very quickly, Leeds do fold. Yes. Mm, yeah. Yeah, two minutes into the second half. Um, John Hughes with the header. Which was the and another very old customer, right? Yeah. And and it was it was one all on the night and of course two on on aggregate and um that really just sort of swung it right back Celtic's way Rob and there seemed to be you know yeah I mean I think that. I mean it's a short corner wasn't it that, that and then old uh, whips it in yeah. with his left and and Hughes gets across Charlton uh, to score and I'd wondered Jonathan you know with you looking at Charlton so so closely mm. recently whether. I mean, Charlton was arguably at fault for the second goal in the FA Cup final three or four days before that he, he allowed Hutchison to get in front of him at the near post from the other wing. Um, but I'm not sure that they anticipated that that Old was going to whip it in shorter, you know, whip it into the near post. Uh, but it did seem to just knock knock the wind out of their sails, whatever you know, little was left there. And I, I do think that they, they didn't exactly capitulate, but they, you know, they knew that there was no way back, really. Yeah, and when, Char- Charlton was what age? By the 30? 35? 30, yeah. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Bobby was born in 37. Jack was... Uh, was, was, was Bobby born in 38 and, and Jack in 34? So, yeah, he's well yeah, in his 30s. 30, yes. 35, uh, he was... 1935, 30, he was yeah, born. 35, yeah. so, yeah, he's, yeah, he is 30, 34, 35 then. Yes, yeah. And so I, I think you know, he is past his best by this point. Yes. Well, a long old season as we... Yeah. Yeah, talked about you know a lot of matches in a, in a short space of time around that uh, around that point. So yeah, um, um, so so yeah, I think that's a totally valid point that, that Charlton was beginning to um, his age was beginning to to, to, yeah. to show. I mean, he, he hangs on, doesn't he, for another three years before he finally retires. Um, he, do. he does, but, yeah. And, and Revy offered him a new deal as well in 1973. It was only that that Middlesbrough uh, offered him the job that that, that he turned it down. Um, mm. Interesting that one of his first signings at Middlesbrough was, of course, Murdoch, that uh, who, who scores the second goal. That, that yeah. and Murdoch was the, the heartbeat of that Middlesbrough team uh, uh, on its mm-hmm. rise. Uh, but that that's a that's Johnson at his best, really, isn't it? The second goal that he uh, Hunter knocks a, a long ball forward, and um, uh, it, it's not back up by the centre half. Um, I can't remember his name. Sorry. Um, Brogan. Brogan. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Not back up, and then played out to the to the right to. To, to Johnston, who finally gets one on one with Hunter, who was out of position, having knocked that ball up, and then he just squares it, and, and Murdoch just arrives beautifully to to to, to knock it in. Well, it's a lovely finish because the outside of the boot as well, mm. isn't it? I mean, I think I mean by by this point, David Harvey's come on for yes. this break, and he I mean, he's only been on the pitch three or four minutes, and I think maybe had he had he been on the pitch for longer, he might yeah. have made a better effort at that. It's a, it's a little bit of a weak yeah. effort, yes. but you know, you've just come into the game; it's it's understandable enough, I guess. Well, yeah, because he he went off because he was clattered by Hughes, which is why I said, you know, he had quite the evening, poor old spray, didn't he? Yeah, which is very much in keeping with with John Hughes. Because we did the game uh, when Celtic lost to to Racing in Continental. Because he gets sent off uh, for for punching the Racing keeper in the bollocks. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Jock Steen says to him afterwards, what on earth did you do that for? And he went, I I just didn't think anybody would see. (laughs) <laughs> you're in the stadium with 100,000 people <laughs> pretty clearly going to see it yeah well there we are and, and as you say Murdoch scored and it was it, it was 3-1 on, on aggregate and I mean that sort of really was that I mean I'm, I'm sort of guessing Rob is much praise for Celtic after the match of course from all sections of the media 
Yeah, indeed, that that they they were seen to be you know valid uh, winners. That it was strange looking at some of the English papers because, of course, that night um, I'd forgotten. But 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 City uh, go through to the uh, Cup Winners' Cup final, and Arsenal go through to the Fairs' Cup final on the same match. So you've got three English clubs in European semis, so they make more of that almost in certain papers than they do of <laughs> of, of Leeds' defeat by by. The Scottish team, but yes, I, I think everybody um, who wrote uh, about it objectively saw that Leeds were, were were comprehensively outplayed that day. Well, there's a real focus on Jimmy Johnson as well, which I, I was slightly surprised by. The, I mean, Jimmy Johnson was 26 by this point. How, how did we not know about him? He'd been yeah. brilliant in '67 as well. Everybody knew in '67 Jimmy Johnson was, you know, in an exceptional team. He was the great individual. But the English papers seemed very much a oh, there's this this winger Jimmy Johnson. He, he's he's brilliant. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You, you should have known that, really. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, of I his story is is incredibly sad. The the alcohol and then the motor yeah. neurone disease. Yeah. And, uh, mm. But yeah, what a what a player. Yeah, and and Rob, you know, Leeds they obviously went out of the European Cup. They they failed to win the FA Cup as well. And 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 Revy was talking about the the triple or the treble mm-hmm. as we would call it at the start of the season. They finished second in the league. I think in 42 days, they played three FA Cup semi-finals, two FA Cup finals, two European Cup semi-finals and, and seven league games. And in all those competitions, they didn't win any. How how damning was this defeat for Leeds afterwards? Well, for, for the players, they felt um, utterly on the floor, I think. And mm. it was only the sunshine of Mexico that, that revived them to a certain extent, that, that Revy went out for, for that tournament. And several of the players went out as spectators, as well as the, mm. the couple in the England squad. But yeah, they they always felt that they could come back. And I think it was because of the siege mentality that he had, that he said, you know, everyone's against us, mm-hmm. that they had that, you know, when Sprake gets when Sprake gets stretched off, I think Kenneth Walsenholm says, you know, how much more misfortune could Leeds bear, you know, and worse mm-hmm. was to come um, in, in the next few days. But 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 that's, I think they, they felt themselves, you know, that they, they had a, only they could get off the floor. It was only them that was going to be in their corner to get off the floor. So, you know, they had to stick together. But mm-hmm. but it certainly took a, a huge uh, amount of uh, Reeve's usual ministrations, you know, from, from you know, geeing them up, from pay rises, from, from you know, mm-hmm. trips away to, to sort of revive their spirit, I think. Yeah, because they would win the, the FA Cup in 1972 and then... They would win the league in 1974. So there were, uh, yeah. you know, trophies to come, but it, it, it did take a, a, a little while, understandably so. Yeah, they, they, they changed as a team in the early 70s. They became less less pragmatic and less uh, focused on, on you know, it, it, they had considered it a crime to lose a game, whereas whereas they, they started to consider it a crime not to win a game. You know, that they, they changed mm-hmm. their approach significantly in, in 70-71. Um, and although the cynicism remained around the around the edges, um, you know, I don't think they ever were that team that Collins had built um, in the last five years of Revy's time at Leeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Collins. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, Collins is gone by this point. But the, uh, and I think this is probably in your book. I read it, so I'm just I'm, I'm telling you back your own anecdotes. <laughs> but the, the stuff about how um, he had to be banned from the ex players team because he was too violent. Yeah. He <laughs> <Yeah>. would <laughs> just uh, go over the top on some fifteen-year-old kid, you know, just oh put him in boots, and and apparently he was out of control. It's just and they, they they had played regular England Scotland games in training, had to cancel those as well. <laughs> yes. 
just took them too seriously. <laughs> yeah, what a good idea that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, superb. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you, uh, Rob, about uh, uh, Revy's Leeson and particularly this uh, European Cup jaunt in uh, in, in 1969-70. So thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Nice one. We'll be back next week, of course, with another great game from the history of football. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>